Hey there, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and I'm happy to have you joining us. So today we're going to be featuring our monthly guest. As you know, once a month, we like to bring another voice to the show that can add to the world of finance and business and our ultimate goal to achieve wealth and its original meaning, which would be to acquire a state of well-being, however you might define that. So today's guest is none other than Jedediah Collins or Jed Collins. So Jed is a CFP, a certified financial planner, and also a financial coach and the founder of Rookie to Veteran. After being signed as an undrafted free agent in the NFL in 2008, he played seven seasons while studying all along the way in the offseason for the CFP. Today, Jed's mission is to empower students, athletes, and other professionals with the necessary behaviors to eliminate the gap between potential and the success that they desire. As a former NFL player, Jed translates the mindset he learned on the field to all the other areas of life, whether they be personal or professional. He's empowered groups such as Amazon, the NFL, Sotheby's, Major League Baseball, F5, and many others. Jed's a passionate advocate for greater financial awareness and financial education, having helped countless individuals on their track towards wealth. Jed's a best-selling author. He has a new book called Your Money Vehicle. He's a national speaker, and most importantly, a husband and father. So that today, we're going to touch on what those skills are to get you from A to B, and we'll even talk about some of the hardest NFL linebackers that Jed ever had to block and how he got the job done. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Jedediah, thanks for coming on the show. Well, brother, I love uh, the opportunity that we have these kind of mediums where I get to connect with people like yourself and your community and your audience. And so I appreciate uh, this platform and excited to have the conversation. Yeah, of course. We're happy to have you here. So how exactly, if, if you could take us maybe back to the roots of it, like when you were a kid growing up, I assume you wanted to play football and be a star. But did you ever think about money or did you ever see yourself, you know, ending up in this world? Not in the least. Uh, actually, my family's a basketball family. Uh, my father played uh, at Seattle University back when they were very good. My, one of my brothers followed his foot tracks and played at, at Seattle U and another brother played at Cornell. So I was kind of the black sheep that pursued football. And there was a lot of reasons for that primarily because they were all 6'5 and 200 pounds, and I was 6'1, 250. Uh, and so <laughs> you have a wise coach sit you down and say, where the heck do you think you're going for basketball? Um, but around finances, uh, it, it is such an interesting piece, and it's part of my story and why I'm so passionate about it. I grew up in Orange County. Um, Orange County, California, has been an affluent community for a long time. My father was the first person in his, his family to go to high school, or not to high school, to college. And then he went on and went to law school, became a lawyer, and ended up running his own law firm. But nobody in his family, including himself, even though he was the higher educated one, understood money. And that passed down to our generation. I look at both my brothers. One was getting a, a master's in engineering at, at Berkeley. Another was getting a law degree at Harvard. 
Um, and I turn to them as I enter into the NFL and say, hey, I, you know, I, I'm starting to get some checks. What do I do? And from our upbringing, the only thing, the only financial plan bestowed upon us was avoid debt and get good jobs. Um, and so, no, this, this journey was never something that I was saying, hey, I've always wanted to be interested or done doing this. But it just so happened that I fell into a situation that it really threw my personal lapse in my face. And then as I, as I started to educate myself, I really started to see the societal issue. Um, and so it kind of was just one of those interesting paths that has continued to unfold to find where I stand today. That's interesting. So you were expected to, to be a basketball player and then you kind of took a totally different route with football and finance. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that, that kind of seems to be, uh, the basis of, of who I am. Um, I, I continue to never be the like, and why partly why my slogan is help people eliminate potential is I hate that word, uh, potential because it's a backhanded compliment saying you haven't accomplished anything. Um, but what I've been able to do is throughout my experiences is I am a much better football player because I stole all my skills from basketball, my footwork, my hands, my body positioning, my athleticism, all of that. And as I pro progress through my career on the field, off the field, that quality has proven to be probably my best attribute is the ability to steal from any environment and kind of translate it into a different, different facet. That's well said. And I think you see a lot of that too, that, that basketball to football transition that folks are making nowadays. You know, I think Antonio Gates was maybe like the first really one that kind of splashed in the NFL. Yeah. And so you're from California. Did now after your career, did you settle back down there or where's home for you? So I met uh, a young woman in college and she was from Bellevue, Washington, which is just outside of Seattle. And it was a very short conversation on where we were going to land. So I live in Bellevue, Washington, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> uh, but uh, we've been married for 10 years. Um, and this has truly become home, greater Seattle area being from I went to Washington state university. So I have a lot of, you know, friends and connections here, but it is a very easy task to tell my family, Hey, we're getting on a plane and going and visiting uh, grandma and grandpa down in California. Um, yeah. That's, that's one they'll sign up for. That's awesome. And so I know it all this whole coronavirus thing that we're living through right now kind of started in Washington. How are you guys faring with it now? You know, that is a, it's a very interesting story. We have a beautiful curse to that. So it, it began and the origin in a, a nursing home of about 10, 15 minutes north of where I sit right now. Um, and because it blew up so quickly, Seattle and Washington really got ahead of this thing. We went on lockdown much quicker. We started to take more precautions and things really kind of evolved faster because we had such a condensed situation to see wow, this thing's going to be bad. It's going to be a big impact. Where in other communities, as it kind of went across the nation, it was this trickle in and, you know, everybody kind of like was, oh, was a, for us, it was overnight, you know, people were dying. Yeah. 
it, you know, it was very un unfortunate. It was a, a, an older facility and there was some other, you know, extenuating circumstances to the building at large, but it was a, it was a blessing in disguise for Washington state. Um, and as, as it's progressed, the, our, our community has done a really good job of keeping the numbers down, but it is, it was, hard to be the you know first to get it in the states and to see the national news but then even more so when our the, we kind of passed the torch and i started talking to friends in new york or louisiana who then took it and they they were unfortunate to not have that early kind of alarm system yeah and it's it's strange because here on the east coast especially in new york it's kind of like we sat back and, and watched what was going on and then it still seemed to completely blindside us. So th that's definitely good that you guys obviously got out in front of it. Yeah. And yeah. it's, uh... and so what are you doing nowadays? If you could tell us a little bit of kind of how you transitioned out of football and obviously had a passion for finance, but mm -hmm. where are you at now? I know that you've written a book, but what are you, what have you been up to and how did you get here? Uh, so currently during the quarantine time, I've set uh, a list of new goals for myself. Oddly enough, um, I began a business January 1st, 2020, uh, around public speaking and standing in front of large groups of people and delivering messages. Beautiful timing to do that as an entrepreneur, I'll tell you. Um, but as I got humbled and I, as along with everybody else, my income was taken, my business was put on hold, and I was kind of left in the dark. In a day or two, you kind of just sit on your hands and say, what, what am I supposed to do? What can I do? Um, but that, that took me to one of my principles. So my principles come from the series I call Rookie to Veteran, which were behaviors I witnessed in the NFL locker rooms. And one of them was mow your grass and always continue to focus on what you do control, you know, kind of just try to eliminate and block out the items that you don't. So today I look at what I do control and in the quarantine, we have anything, we have time. So right now I am starting my own podcast, which I'm excited about. I'm writing my second and third book. I am turning Your Money Vehicle, the, the, the book, workbook, into an online course. Uh, so that will end up being about 35 or 40 short five to seven minute videos. Um, and really trying to see how I can pivot. Uh, throughout my career in football, I was cut a dozen times, which makes me a great failure. It is just poetic that my entrepreneurial life began with a quote-unquote failure. The difference in myself is I welcome that. I see failure as such a gift because it's, it's not the end, it's the beginning. It is simply your acceptance of, of something that was not going to work and your growth of, all right, we got to change, adapt, and pivot into a new opportunity. Today, I look at my world and say, you know, two months ago, it got blown up. But now I am positioned to be able to reach a bigger audience, to provide a bigger impact. And of anyone, I am more prepared to make this pivot because for the last two or three years, I've been really focused on uh, video and how to create visual content along with education. 
Um, so my world today is combining my two passions. My passion from the NFL is around my mindset and those behaviors and principles of success. And my mind and my other side is around money and my certification of financial planning and teaching people this foreign language that for some reason our school systems has overlooked. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I, you hear more about uh, financial literacy becoming a part of the curriculum. And I hope it does. It's definitely something that's still under, uh, under addressed. Well, so, if they need a curriculum, Your Money Vehicle is a, a 10-week course that uh, is my goal and mission to get it into every high school in America. So they, we'll, we'll, awesome. see. Yeah, we'll see how we get. Yeah, yeah. I wish you well with that. And with Your Money Vehicle, I mean, is that essentially like a, a blueprint of how anybody should be just managing their money from the get-go? Or is there yes. a particular niche that that goes after? Or it's very just applicable to everybody? Uh, so my father wants me to say it's for anybody who wants to begin their capitalistic journey. Um, capitalism is a funny word. I think it's one that we need to better understand before we condemn. Uh, but truly it is the changing of your perspective of money. Why we title it your money vehicles very specific because first and foremost, this is your vehicle this is not Jed's, this is not Brian's, this is not anyone else's, this is yours. You need to put your name on it. And one of the items I really emphasize is how important taking ownership and putting your name on things is. Whether it's playing football or taking a project at work, if your name is on something, you are now associated for it and you will be uh, kind of reviewed accordingly. So the other end of that is the vehicle side. For too long, we've seen money as the destination. Uh, one of the questions I love to ask during my workshops is, you know, let's say the the genie comes out of the lamp um, and it's kind of perfect. I just watched the new Aladdin with my daughters the other day. Will Smith did a fantastic job. If you have not seen it, I highly yeah, recommend. I he, he was he, good. <laughs> he was excellent. You know, yeah, Big Will, man. I don't know if he was uh, Robin Williams. That, uh, to me, he was like the ultimate back in the day. But that's true. Oh, yeah. you know. But he did yeah, a good job. that's like it's that's like my it's it's like Jordan LeBron. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, they're exactly yeah. Uh, so that the genie comes out of the lamp, and you say, "Well, your one wish financially, what would it be?" And most people say, "Oh, I want a million dollars." And one, you start to say, "Okay, well, a million dollars isn't what it used to be." But really, what do you what does that million dollars represent to you? What are you going to do with that million dollars? What what lifestyle do you want to have that million dollars support? And the idea is to get people to see the difference. The money is not what you want. It's the lifestyle or it's the outcomes or it's what the money can provide for you. And so that's why I love calling it the money vehicle is because this thing is going to take you on the journey. It is the, the source of movement and action. It is the verb of the sentence, not the noun. And if we can get people to really look at it that way, then we can get people to challenge themselves to ask, well, then how do I use it? How do I sit in the driver's seat and actually learn to drive my money vehicle? And I love to encourage people to use money, U-S-E. Your money vehicle is intended to get you to U, understand, S, strategize, and E, be efficient, use money. Uh, and so this is what the objective is, is we see your money vehicle as the beginning I want to sit you down and answer that first question everybody should be asking is why is money important to me? 
I explain in chapter 1.1 how pensions are gone and how your freedom and future is, is truly on your shoulders. Yep. And all the way up through the first 10 questions somebody would ask and need to be answered on their financial journey. So this is not a stock picking or get rich or wealthy overnight kind of book. This is a, I want to show you from a wealth management, my CFP side, 10 questions and facets of money and really introduce you to the holistic wheel of all the opportunities you have around your money. Because truly investments, while it's the sexy engine and is important, we control very little of it. So let's go start talking about taxes and insurance and cybersecurity and vehicles and banking and cash management, all these other elements that you will absolutely control more of. I like that. I mean, that's something I'm constantly speaking to even my own clients about is, you know, making sure that they don't confuse investments with financial planning. You know, mm. investments may be a part of financial planning, but it's not the end all be all, you know, kind of like you were saying. Yes. And so when you when you were in the NFL and kind of bouncing around and then eventually, eventually transitioned out of football, did they help you with that transition to get to where you're at right now? Or was it kind of like, thanks for your time. See you later. Now go figure out your life. Thanks for your time. See you later. You are <laughs> only as valuable as you are on the field. Um, and that is even seen in the training room. Trainers are not healing you for your life. They're healing you to get you back on the field. They're not concerned with your daily activities. They're concerned with, can you play? Um, and that mindset transitions into the transition. Uh, and I don't care if you're me, who's a no-name guy who I had a better career than I was supposed to, or a 15-year, 20-year Peyton Manning, Pro Bowl, you know, elite player, the transition is going to knock you on your butt. Uh, it is such a weird time in your life because you're not just losing a job. You're losing your financial support. You're losing your team and locker room. And you're also losing your identity. If you were to tell a doctor at age 44, you're not going to be a doctor tomorrow. They're going to go through an identity crisis. They're going to go through a weird point in time. As I went into the corporate setting and sitting in a, a desk in an office all day, I jokingly told people, I said, you know what the hardest part is? Nobody's clapped for me since I've been here. And as an athlete, that's, that's our praise. Like that's what we, you know, people are starting to talk about football and basketball and baseball being played without fans. That's going to be a weird psychological piece because you play for that fandom. You play for that energy. Uh, so no, one of the things I get to do today and what I love to share with transitioning athletes are the rookie to veteran principles. So I believe we have so much in our tool belts that are going to prepare us for success beyond the field. But so many athletes stop, look at their competition or look at where they are and say, well, I got to start at scratch. And while you may not have the corporate experience or the entrepreneurial experience or whatever, you do have a certain set of skills that you need to be able to highlight and then communicate as you do begin these endeavors. So I was one of those fortunate, fortunate few who knew kind of what direction I wanted to head because this money thing became such a passion. I started doing it to guys in the locker room. I started doing it to friends. I started to write to myself a lot. Um, so I knew kind of what direction I wanted to head. 
That being said, it was still an extremely challenging time. It was a humbling process. Uh, and what I really came to realize was it doesn't matter how much you think you know what's going to happen in three to five years. You just got to start marching in a direction and see how the pieces kind of unfold before you. Got it. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. That's like going into a whole nother lifestyle. And mm -hmm. along those lines, I know one of the things you've spoken about in the past is, <clears throat> excuse me, athletes and their finances. We've all seen, you know, things on ESPN of athletes that Mike Tyson's that made a fortune and then went flat out broke and bankrupt. Why do you think there's such a, that common theme of, of that it does happen, people that have such tremendous wealth that then blow it all? Is it because it happens when they're so young or, or what would you point to for that? Number one, uh, you know, you can title this under lack of education, but I, I, I've actually written it to the New York Times. It's a, it's a first and foremost, a, a failure in communication. We just had the NFL draft a few days ago. Joe Bob drafted number one overall, gets a $40 million contract, and that's what's printed on the cover of the New York Times. Joe Bob did not get a $40 million contract. He got a $22 million contract, which is still a ton of money. But if he's out there spending like a $40 million, he's not only broke, he's in serious debt. And that lack of education, simple things like gross to net income, which yes, is in your money vehicle chapter, but it is that is the beginning of the problem. As a society, we have told these athletes, all you have to do is be good at one thing. That one thing was never money. And most people aren't good at money, but as an athlete at 22, you're handed hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. If you were just good at ball, that is going to be a failure for you. You also look at the timing aspect of it. You know, most careers have a time horizon where their income continues to slant up over time, hitting 40 and starting to peak until you're 55, 60. Athletes are just the polar opposite. You skyrocket in your 20s and then it goes down to zero until you get another career. And what guys don't understand is each year in the NFL should be a decade of your financial life. And that's a really hard concept to fathom at 24. These are dollars and years that are going to pay for me when I'm 40, 50, 70, 80, 90 years old. And so to get people to see this bigger picture lens, you have to make them aware of their finality. They, everyone who walks into an NFL or a professional athlete locker room is confident in themselves and their ability. It is also a detriment because they're so confident they always believe there's another contract coming. And so what, as an advisor, you need to do is, is understand what their money mindset is, what their relationship is. You know, most professional athletes come from hard backgrounds, but then you also need to get them to understand that where these dollars are going are going to provide for a life beyond their 20s. I tell rookies each and every year, your dream was not to be a rookie. The NFL dream is to not walk across a stage and hear your name called. The NFL dream is to leave a locker room years later with a bag of M&Ms. And that bag of M&Ms is some money and some memories. I like that. That's a great, uh, great acronym there. Well, I didn't, I didn't make that up. I stole that from <laughs> one of my coaches, Joe Vitt. Do credit. Okay. 
who, but in, I'll take just it. out of curiosity, who was who like your, your best coach or influential coach, both on the field, but also to get you to, to where you want, where you're, as they say now, more than an athlete and really starting to do some impactful things now in education? That's a great question. <clears throat> you know, I would say my best coaches were f- fellow players, the veterans I looked up to, the guys who I saw truly capturing the dream. And those were the guys I wanted to emulate. Those are the guys I stole from. Coaches along the way taught me ways to survive in the league, uh, whether directly or indirectly, but it was truly the veterans that taught me what success looked like and how to, how to achieve that. Um, that being said, I, I remember very pivotal moment in time uh, as I was becoming a fullback in the NFL. I was a tight end in college and a linebacker in high school. Um, I had a running back coach sit me down and address me. He always would call me son. Most coaches called you son if they didn't know your real name. Um, and he, would, he told me, he said, listen, you're not going to touch the field until you're the best at, on the team at this one thing. You need to find your one thing. And for me as a fullback, that was going to be a lead blocker. And that was a mindset shift for me because I was always the jack of all trades guy. Um, and so as I looked at that, I really started to understand I needed to create this list of what my job was number one was going to be. And I think that's as I translate it to money, that really helps us on a prioritization of a daily basis of what is my number one goal of money at the moment? This is not my ultimate goal. This is not where my whole plan is headed, but this is, you know, April 28th, 2020. What is job number one for me financially? What is job number one for me in my profession? And so I look at those elements that the coaches taught me um, and even a, a Super Bowl champion coach recently, Andy Reid, I remember him walking by and saying, son, we can't beat ourselves out there. And he kept walking, but it was in that one line. I vividly remember him saying that to me. And he taught me a principle that he needed to be able to trust me. He needed to be able to trust that out on the field, I was going to help the team, not hurt the team. That trust needed to extend to the other coaches, to my teammates, to the organization. And it was in those little nuggets, those, those, moments where a coach was truly just trying to be a coach that if you were looking for them if you were conscious of them you could take take you know what they were saying and turn them into life principles you got it and that was all well said and do you miss like some of that uh that team environment of people relying on you like you said Andy Reid told you we can't beat ourselves mm-hmm. now if you're more in what I've seen a lot of athletes do is kind of go into an entrepreneurial role of sorts and really build out their own platform like you're doing with the podcast and the book. And mm-hmm. now you're the driver of a lot of things rather than just a small kind of cog in this big machine of a football team. Do you miss that or do you enjoy having all this independence now? Miss it every day. Uh, there is a brotherhood in the locker room that will never be replaced. Um, and that's, that's a neat feeling and it's a sad thing to say, but there's just a, a commonality to know we are all gathered for the same purpose to have this, uh, this idea and this sense of unity for greater good. And, you know, I, I think it's, you can see it in the military to a much, much higher degree, but why we love sports 
is that bond and you know company money passions is a really neat bond but i would definitely say i miss the camaraderie of you know fighting and battling with brothers uh for that purpose um but there are other elements in most of the rest of the elements of the game that i don't miss at all so there a little bit of competition definitely the the community and the idea that we are all after a greater purpose and it's a common purpose and a, a guy a head coach can stand in front of 70 men and direct them i think that is really neat uh but that's kind of where my my you know fondness falls for football <laughs> no, I get it. And, and yeah. do you do you feel like you ever try and replace that at all, or or want to in life, or did you kind of say goodbye to that phase and move on to now more of an educator role? I think you you cannot try to replace it. I think it's kind of like a drug of some sort. If you try to replace it, you're always going to be searching for it. Uh, that being said, it took me a few years. I am proud to say I feel a new sense of purpose. Uh, one that is not defined as Jed the athlete or even Jed, you know, finance, but a sense of purpose to where I, I'm connected to something bigger than myself, something that is going to be impactful, has been impactful. Um, and so as I look at that, I, I wouldn't say it's replaced it, but it has definitely given me a new direction and a new energy. Um, so in some ways, I, I would say that I, I feel that a similar emotion but no, I'm not, I, I, you can't chase standing in front of 70,000 people and, and truly being given uh, full capability of, of inflicting pain and uh, yeah. trying, trying to find that somewhere else. I actually would not recommend trying to find that somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, it's probably very good advice right there. Yeah. And so I know we're bouncing around a little bit, but you, you yeah, grew up in, in Washington and uh, went to Washington State. What did you major in there, by the way, when you were in college? Grew up SoCal, um, living oh, sorry, Washington in Washington. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was an accounting major. So my brothers, the oldest brother, followed my father's footsteps and became an attorney. The middle brother was an engineer. And I was the, the business mind, I guess, of some sorts. That's but it right. was, yeah, it was also probably because being a lawyer and an engineer, you have to be smarter. <laughs> and then you kind of, you know, go through the NFL as a bit of a journeyman here, bouncing around with some teams. And mm -hmm. now we have the book. And can you tell us a little bit about the, the program Rookie to Veteran? I know that's something that you're pretty big into right now. Oh, yeah. So Rookie to Veteran comes from a growth mindset, seeing, you know, as a rookie, you walk into a locker room with that, that term I talked about earlier, potential. And there is a gap, if you truly look at it, this gap between where you are today and any goal that you aspire to be, that gap being that phantom line of potential. What I came to realize was there was not coincidence in who was becoming a veteran. There was not uh, just a, a luck to who was being the best in the world year in and year out. I got cut 12 times, which at the time were lemons, where I got to turn them into lemonade was when I really started to study the locker rooms and the men that I was getting to be a part of in a round. And so Rookie to Veteran is observing and absorbing the best in the world. How did Drew Brees arrive at his daily regimen? 
how does a 16-year defensive end come to work every day? How does a 20-year kicker prepare mentally? How are these guys achieving the success I so desperately wanted? And so I map out a a 10-step process that I I take teams, individuals, and people through, um, beginning with the Be A Pro mindset and going through each and every element of the journey. And it was in those 12 locker rooms, in those different fields and areas where I principles, but these are not football principles. These are life principles. And I've been able to prove that as I interview CEOs or business owners, and I go into organizations and I deliver each and every corporate environment has a correlation to these 10 principles, because that's the idea of a principle. They are supposed to translate into all aspects of life. They are not how to make a 53-man roster in the NFL. They are how to grow from rookie to veteran, how to be an apprentice to an artist, how to go from wherever you are to where you want to go. And so that's what the 10 steps do is they eliminate the gap. They, they remove the, the potential and they try to bring you from where you are to where you want to be. Got it. And that's what I wanted to ask next for some of those uh, listeners out there that haven't read your book yet, Your Money Vehicle. If you could just kind of open up and, and kind of peel back the curtain a bit, give us a little bit of the secret sauce as to what's in there um, within those 10 principles, anything practical or, or any favorite one that you'd, you'd like everybody just to hear quickly to kind of um, clue them into what's behind the, uh, you know, behind the cover. So I will, I will intermix the two because that's, that's where I find I'm unique and I, I love to do this money and the mindset side. One of the rookie to veteran principles is game of inches. What I came to realize was the biggest difference between college football and the professional game was that a veteran comes in and steals inches each and every day. I got to work with a, a 12, no, maybe it was 14 year linebacker in Kansas city and when we would go out and run drills, we would run 40 yards, he'd run 45. We'd run 50, he'd run 55. We'd go into the bench press, he would slide at two and a half pounds on any weight we were doing and then do his rep. And it was that understanding, that idea. I challenged him, I asked him, I said, two and a half pounds, I don't get it. That's not going to make a difference. He said he focused on stealing inches, understanding small hinges swing big doors saying an inch leads to a yard, a yard to a first down, a first down to a touchdown, a touchdown to a win, and a win to an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, which is his most and his why. But that was his focus. And as I transition into your money vehicle, people all the time say, I don't have enough to start, or I don't know where to start, or I can't do this. And it's this understanding and this declaration that I'm just going to go and steal some inches. I know whether it's cash management, whether it's taxes, whether it's investments, it's fees, it's even just opening a, a, a tax advantage vehicle. If I am stealing inches over time, they're going to lead to a big, big impact. And the best and greatest example of that, and one concept I try to get young professional athletes to understand, the inch in money is time. It is compound interest. It is the eighth wonder of the world. Albert Einstein deemed it one of the brightest minds of human history, this idea that over time, if you let an investment compound, whatever that investment is in, it will have an exponential growth. And so if I were to leave people with an understanding around your money vehicle, 
we have written a workbook. This is not a book. This is something that you are going to each chapter have to answer not only content questions, but personal planning questions. And each chapter has exercises and most importantly, action items. So your money vehicle is not just a financial education, it's financial empowerment. Empowerment means I give you the confidence to go and act upon these things and create your own personal plan. So as you go through this, you will check off each action item of each chapter, ending with chapter 10, what is possibly the greatest advantage to young professionals who I would say are my target demographic and young professional could be 15 to 45, but any young person who has a big time horizon, you need to use compound interest and steal those inches and then use vehicles like a Roth account. And chapter 10 goes through exactly what a Roth account is, why it is so impactful over a long-term time for a young person and how to go and start open one. Got it. I like it. Two of the things too that I, I noticed in your book is you stray away from mentioning budget and mentioning retirement. Yes. Any Is there a reason behind that? I, I imagine that didn't just happen by happenstance. Uh, it will... No, it didn't. And I'm a big believer, again, in mindset and in words of affirmation and in your subconscious. So, you know, budget to me was always limiting. I had to abide by my budget. It controlled me. Cash management put me in control. And remember, we're driving our money vehicle. We are in control. So I looked at it differently. I wanted something that was not a limiting mindset, but it was an abundance mindset. And cash management was something that would fit my lifestyle a budget felt you know, kind of like it was going to limit my lifestyle. I think we all need to stop using the term retirement because the idea of retirement is gone. This idea that you're gonna get to 65 and right off into the sunset on a pension and social security is no more. Outside of a few professions in public service or a professor in college, their pensions, 90% are gone. And that's because a company and industry wanted to shift that liability of your future off of their balance sheet and onto yours through vehicles like the 401k and the IRA. So I look at those two words, retirement was even limiting because it was, I was working towards this date and then that date I get to go and be somebody else. I don't want money to be a, I work for it and then I get to finally stop worrying about it. I don't want to just work for money. I want money to work for me. And when I get to a day where I get to do something I want to do while making money and also have money working for me, that to me is freedom. And so my goal is no longer the R word. My goal is financial freedom. Because I don't see myself, if I am financially free at 52 or 72, ever having to fully stop because freedom means I'm only doing what I want to do. I'm a writer. That's something that I hid from the world, from people who knew me until I was 30 years old. But today, I am happiest when I get up at 5 a.m. and I have two hours before my daughter's awake and I have a quiet house that I get to write to myself. It just so happens that some of the things I'm writing might end up making me money, but that is not my job. That is my freedom and a passion I like to chase. So I would challenge people to set up a cash management. Chapter three in the book, we introduce you to the money bucket system, which are the five choices you're going to have to make with every dollar you have, whether you're Jeff Bezos or starting your first job tomorrow. 
And then I would challenge you to look at freedom and looking at what the lifestyle you want from money and begin to make decisions and directions to get yourself there because that is going to make you have a happier and more fulfilling life. That freedom also comes with the fifth choice in your money bucket system, compassion, and what you can give and into it. Have you ever read the uh, book Four Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris? I have it. I have not read it. No, I need yeah. to. Yeah, I think you'll really like it because really? I'll be honest, that was one of the first ones that I read um, where so many ideas in there, similar to what you're saying, a lot of the things I believe as well, but was uh, really spelled out uh, and it kind of resonated and obviously resonated with a huge audience of this idea of, you know, retirement's a thing of the past. And you should be able to kind of retire in short timeframes throughout the whole course of your life uh, to pursue, you know, your passions while you're living and not just wait, you know, 30, 40 years to get there. Right. Um, and you, you even look at right now, we are being quarantined and sat at home. What do you have right now that you've never had before? Time. You have the yep. most time. So what was that thing, that thing you said you wanted to do, whether it's paint your house, paint your nails, whatever it is, <laughs> now you have time to do it. So I, I, I would challenge. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Go. I, I think that's passion. the silver lining of this whole thing that people are going to walk away with is, you know, really saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not at work 24 seven like I used to be. Now I'm at home. I'm with my family. We've got time on our hands. What do I really want to do with it? And mm -hmm. so I think it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see some of the things that come out of this pandemic. Uh, whether it's new inventions, new ideas, new books, new movies, who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, definitely an interesting time. So that was pretty cool. And with the, with the books that are out there, and, and I know there's, it's a very crowded space. You know, I obviously have a book kind of in the world mm -hmm. of finance as well. Is there anything that you did or, or that you just want to underscore real quick that you would say is different than the athlete turned businessman or from the financial uh, Dave Ramsey, Susie Ormonds, all these books and talking heads that are out there. What was kind of like your unique value proposition that your money vehicle and your platform uh, brings to the world? So I, I briefly mentioned it. I would say it's because my content is uh, all about the, the individual. I am not teaching to, to make you think I'm smart or understand the concepts. I'm teaching to make you learn and understand. So where our differentiator is, is in truly how we communicate. Everything throughout the Your Money Vehicle book is told through a storied element. Not because, you know, we couldn't give you the hard facts. It's because through history, through education, you learn stories are what people remember. And sure. I look at the 10 questions. Those are from hundreds of financial workshops that I've delivered what were the 10 most frequently asked questions? What were the 10 most misunderstood concepts in a beginner's journey? And those are what we wanted to formulate around. And so we took those 10 stories, we created or 10 questions, we created stories around them, but truly where we separate. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad changed my life as it has millions of people's lives. Mm -hmm. But I crit critique Rich Dad, Poor Dad now because it didn't tell me what to go do. It changed my mindset and a philosophy, and for that, I'm forever grateful, but it didn't give me action items. Your money vehicle, you are going to be told a story. You're going to be you know, educated into how it financially will impact your life, 
But the most important part is because education fails in and of itself, we give you actions and that changes it to empowerment. And those are what we are going to judge and critique our success on is lasting impact through those actions. My mission right now is to open a million Roth IRA accounts. Why? Because if you read and see what a Roth IRA account will do for a young professional, not only one, are you in the lowest income tax bracket of your career, but two, you could have upwards of 60 years of tax-free growth. Those are both elements that will significantly steal inches and make an impact in your money vehicle. I couldn't agree more. And now if we could transition to one of our favorite segments for our viewers and our listeners, it's the uh, lightning round that we feature with our guests. So if that's okay with you, we'll dive into this, just fire off some quick questions to you. And uh, if some of them, if you feel the need, you want to elaborate a bit, you know, you're more than welcome. Uh, But if we can get started on that, are you, uh, are you game? I am game. All right, let's do it. So first off, what is your favorite food? Dessert. <laughs> <laughs> and your favorite vacation? Uh, going to my parents' house in Palm Springs. Okay. Uh, favorite movie of all time? Wow. So I didn't have TV growing up, so my brothers and I would just watch movies and recite them to each other. Um, this is going to be awful, but a movie I can recite probably word for word is Night at the Roxbury. <laughs> okay, <laughs> not a good movie, but it's it's a... Yeah, it's it's a some would consider that a classic. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, how'd you not have a TV? What uh... uh, so we just never had cable. Uh, my father wanted us to be readers, and we didn't even have channels two, four, and six. We just the only thing we could do was watch movies, and you know we. We got outside. We're California, so we we played basketball all day and, yeah, did yard work. And you said you'd read a lot. What was your favorite book? Favorite book growing up? Uh, That's a great question. You know, you go classics. I mean, Huckleberry Finn, it's hard to, you know, hard to overcome. I read one about the Civil War. I'm trying to, I'm blanking on the name of it. But that was the first, I remember the first book I read over 100 pages was one about the Civil War. And I, I loved it. I don't remember what the title of it is now. But huh. Okay, we could come back to it. We'll cut, yeah. And now that you're, you know, you've kind of been on both sides of the fence as a athlete, you know, making some of that fast, you know, big money. And now as a, a financial uh, guru, if you will, or financial expert, what would you say the best investment you've made has been? In myself, uh, in developing skills for my future. I look at right now, I've, I've talked to a few universities and students on college campuses and even high school students, and they've been given a gift. For the first time in history, they're on an equal level field with people in their 40s and 50s. Who better to adapt to this new world that is about to unfold than a 22-year-old entering their first career as opposed to a 52-year-old that has a career? I've invested in myself. Even when I was playing football, I was getting my financial education. When I was in wealth management, I was learning social media and video content. And those are the reasons why 
I don't fail. Those are the reasons why I pivot and find new opportunities. So to continue to develop your skill set, never be satisfied, never stand on one leg. You ask a surgeon right now who has had never had a concern over their income being in jeopardy, they are not making money and they stood on one leg for too long. I don't care what it is or where you are, if it's how you invest, if it's how you have income, diversify. Your skill sets need to be diversified. Learn new ones, adapt, and be able to pivot because those are the people who are not just getting through quarantine. Those are the people who are growing through quarantine and are going to come out on the other end having stories of capturing opportunity. And on the flip side, the worst investment you made? So my first paycheck, I, oh, I can't say it was my worst investment, but <laughs> it is what woke me up to my financial illiteracy. My first NFL paycheck was for about $30,000, and I spent it before I even opened the envelope. <laughs> um, I bought an engagement ring, and you know, my wife and I have been married for 10-plus years, so it was good, yeah. but that was a financial mistake. And I, we, I said it the day after we got the ring and I'll say it to this day. <laughs> so you're saying that the ring, the wedding ring was your worst investment. <laughs> uh, I was saying it, it was my worst financial decision to gotcha. take every penny I had and spend it. Got it. No, I understand. I was going to yeah. say, if you want me to edit that out just to cover you, I will. <laughs> no, she, she's cool with it. I, I, <laughs> And just a couple more here we have. Your favorite quote that you live by? If you Ralph have. Waldo Emerson. Each, he says each man, I edit it to each person is better than me in some way. From that, I will learn from them. That's great. That's a great quote. And a childhood hero that you had looking up to? David Robinson. Uh, a guy, basketball obviously, part? basketball, Hall of Famer, went into the military you know, was kicked out of the Air Force or the Navy because he was too tall. Uh, but I remember reading a story that he could walk the entire length of the court on his hands. Um, and then following up those kinds of, you know, historic kind of elements with arguably one of the most respected men to ever play in the NBA. And I always thought, you know, it's so hard to build a reputation and build a brand and to have, you know, he had the world at his fingertips and yet he never, still to this day, never tarnished his legacy. Yep. The Admiral. Yep. The Admiral. He's the man. And then any uh, influential mentor or coach uh, that had a big impact on your life? Oh, tons. Uh, one of my principals in Rookie to Veteran is Find Your Graybeard, which is a mentor. Um, but it was a financial advisor while I was in the NFL, who was also a Washington State football grad. I pinged him with hundreds of questions while I was beginning out and learning and learning and learning. And he was the one who finally said, listen, I can feed you fish all day long. I've been in the business for 25 years. It's not until you learn to fish that you're really going to be satisfied. And so that's what challenged me to go start studying for my CFP. Um, but I would challenge each and every listener, write someone's name down and ask them questions. People want to help you. You're just not asking. And the worst thing that's going to come is they ignore it or they say no. But believe me, you will get endlessly rewarded for reaching out and being persistent and following up and being you know, conscious of their time. But reaching out and asking, 
why did you choose your career? How did you find success? What would you at tell me to go do today? Okay. And last but not least, you said that your role in football was to be the lead blocker as a fullback. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, who is the hardest player that you ever had to block? Oh, man. The, the hard ones I forget because I got knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's fair. So there was a guy named Holote Nata who was a nose tackle. He wasn't the hardest. I mean, he was 360 pounds, and so you run into him, and it's – it's like running into a moving wall. Um, but I remember very vividly uh, Brian Erlacher coming down one of my first games. And it was, it was surreal because he was a guy I watched in high school as a middle linebacker saying I wanted to be him. And uh, after I, I got up from the hit seeing stars, I was like, all right, that was, uh, that was one of those moments that I'm going to hopefully remember. Um, but yeah, truly, I, I could name most stadiums from my back because if you're a warrior and you go into battle, you don't win them all. Yeah, that was awesome. Well, Jed, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing a little bit about your new book and just your journey from going from the NFL to now uh, having an impact in other ways as an educator. So this has been great. And anything else that, that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Any last words? Uh, I love feedback. Again, failure, feedback are the ways I grow. So reach out, give me thoughts on your money vehicle. I'm writing and have written level two. Give me thoughts on that. Uh, check me out on social media, but all in all, just uh, tell me good and bad. Just let me keep, uh, keep growing. So Brian, I appreciate the opportunity, brother. And uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it was worthwhile and Definitely. enjoy the day. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jed, and everybody who listened today. Thanks again for tuning in to the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and we're signing off with today's guest, Jed Collins, again, the author of Your Money Vehicle. Go check it out on Amazon or anywhere else you buy books, and uh, be sure to follow him on social media. Thanks, and have a great day. The Kaderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors, or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Pass. 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through Pass, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Nine seven three two four 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 two zero. Financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Pass is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Caderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those 
of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.